Hi, this is Robbie from Wonderfuls, a theatre company based in Glasgow. You're about to listen to our audio play, The Coolidge Effect, written by myself and Jack Nurse. It's a play about connection, isolation and pornography. Originally performed as a piece of theatre, the performance has now been captured and remastered as an audio play with a wonderful and new upbeat score by Wonderful's collaborators Van Ives. We would love for as many people to listen to this as possible, so please rate, review and subscribe to spread the word. We've got a couple more projects up our sleeves, so do keep in touch by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. As you probably know, theatre is struggling right now. So if you'd like to donate to the company, please do so at www.wonderfuls.org, where you can also sign up to our mailing list. We hope you enjoy the show. Today, 78.1 million will feel the cold blue light on their face. Coolidge effect is a scientific theory. It states that it is not the act of sex, but variety of sexual experience that is crucial to human arousal. The original experiment happened in 1955. It was conducted by an American scientist, Frank A. Beach, using rats. Now, I'm heavy scaredy rats. But luckily, this is just an imagined demonstration of the Coolidge effect. So, to help me with my fear and aid you with your visualisation, we're going to make the rats multicoloured. Like a big mad rainbow of rats. But firstly, I need you to imagine a cage. At the start of the experiment, there was a male rat, pink rat, and a female rat, blue rat. There'll be no gender stereotypes on this podcast. Together, they are placed in a cage. Day one. The two rats enjoy a lot of sex. Let's say for the sake of this demonstration, the rats enjoy sex ten times. Everyone enjoying their visualisation? Day two. They continue to have sex at the same rate. Only yourself, big rat. 
Day three, they have sex seven times. Day four, it's down to four times, letting it slip. Day five, two times. Day six, one time. Day seven, the male rat is exhausted. The female rat wants more, but the male has had enough. And you are doing so well, pink rat. Let's start this experiment again, but slightly differently this time. Day one. The pink rat and the blue rat enjoy sex 10 times. The male rat is back in the game. Day two. We take this female blue rat out of the cage and we replace her with a new female green rat. Then they have sex 10 times. Day three. We replace the female rat with another, red rat, and then they have sex ten times. Pink rat has outdone himself. Day four, again, a new female rat, ten times. Yes, pink rat. Day five, new rat, ten times. Do you get the idea? The male rat keeps up his sexual drive when faced with a new female each day. In 1955, Frank A. Beach concluded that the rats would never stop mating as long as new females were introduced. So, the Coolidge effect is a scientific theory. It states that it is not the act of sex, but variety of sexual experience that is crucial to human arousal. But, if the variety never stops. What happens then? George is walking on his own in the tall grass. Out of nowhere, a voice warns him to It's Professor Oak, the famous Pokemon researcher. He tells George, Walking on your own in the tall grass can be very dangerous. Then, Professor Oak asks George if he wants to go to his lab with him. Do you want to uh, come to my lab with me? George says, yes. And then they travel there. When they arrive, Professor Oak offers George a choice of three starter Pokemon to be his companion on the journey ahead. Bulbasaur, Squirtle, or Charmander. George feels confused. He doesn't know what to do. Grass, water, fire. All exciting, but in very different ways. Bulbasaur, Squirtle, or Charmander. Why should he have to decide? He doesn't know how to. He is annoyed, so he turns his Game Boy off. It is a crap game anyway. He thinks. George is actually walking home with his mates. They're talking about girls. We are always talking about girls on the way home from school. And today's topic is... Tits and Fanny. To be specific, 
one of his mate's mums, Tits and Fanny. When the girls join the group, Tits and Fanny turns into, um, um, I? I'm eating skips with my granny. Alice is with them. She walks straight towards George, pulling at his tie and talking about how rubbish that last class was. George knows that Alice fancies him, but he doesn't know how he feels, if he's honest. George's best mate, Paul, says that he's going straight home. Alice goes quiet when George says that he is too. He knows that he should go with Alice, but he really just has no desire to. So he says goodbye and he walks home with Paul instead. Now that they're alone, Paul starts to talk about girls again. He is always talking about fancying girls, but George has never really fancied anyone before. Or loved anyone. What even is love? Paul talks about Alice. He tells George, You should have a bash at her. And George tells him, I have absolutely no interest in having a bash. And Paul says, That's a bit gay. Paul tells George that if he doesn't fancy girls, he must be gay. Or something. He says, I wank off the girls on Pornhub all the time. <laughs> like 20 times a night. Everybody does. Honestly, I'm really late to do it. Like, well past nine. Paul says, Catchy shagger! And he swaggers off. And George watches him go for a bit. And he thinks about having a bash. And what the hell, a, a porn hubbis? And he wants to know what love is. And he thinks about his mates and girls and Alice and finally when he can't stand the confusion of all of these thoughts anymore, he takes the Game Boy out of his pocket and he turns it back on. Bulbasaur, Scuttle, or Charmander? Gary is scrubbing the bowl of the toilet. It hasn't been washed for weeks, he thinks. This is the only downside of it being my weekend. Cleaning. Every second week, he gets to see his son. And every second week, he thinks, That isn't enough. Gary takes a break from cleaning. He's got plenty of time. So he draws the blinds and sits. He enjoys the darkness for a brief moment before he opens up his laptop and feels the cold blue light on his face. He only needs to type in the letter P. That's all the search engine needs before a list of suggested search results appear. The internet never forgets. Well, Unless you ask it to. Gary 
spends some time trying to find the perfect woman. I'm sick of her. Sick of her. I've watched far too much of her. And then he fixates on one. A new one? I've not seen her before. Blonde hair. Big natural breasts, pale skin, lipstick, lingerie. And then Gary comes to the realisation that she looks a bit like his ex-wife. Fuck that. So he continues scrolling and trawling. It's important to him that she is just right. The woman he chooses needs to be right. He can't get there if she's not right. So he decides to narrow his search. Teen. He questions if searching teen is alright. He knows it's legal, but he thinks... It's awfully close to not being legal. That all said, Gary likes school uniforms. So he sits there for a full hour and he still can't get there. Video after video, search after search. Still not hard, feeling dysfunctional, pissed off, pissed off at his middle-aged floppy cock. I'm a floppy fucking cock. Shit. Gary remembers that it is his weekend. He remembers that the living room is a tip, the kitchen is fucked, and he's still not got food in or anything. Gary knows that his son arrives at four and it is five to four now so he only has five minutes. Gary starts to dash about the flat, cleaning, still not satiated and with that comes a sense of frustration as he runs about the flat in his boxers with the dick as flaccid as when he started almost 90 minutes ago. Gary's head goes through all the things in this world that take 90 minutes. Football, films, a drive to fucking Edinburgh and he thinks about how long it should take when. The buzzer goes. It is five past four. Retrospect is here. Retrospect is in your ear and wants you to understand. Pornography is affordable, it's free, and free is less expensive than a one-piece sweet. And remember, sweets rot your teeth. Porn is anonymous, nobody knows you're watching, and if no one can watch you, no one can judge you. Porn is accessible. 
It can be enjoyed from the comfort of your own home, at the park, in the toilets, in your work, at bedtime, in the dark. Affordable, anonymous, accessible. Retrospect commends this marketing strategy because retrospect bought into it. Do you understand now? Age 12, retrospect recalls waiting on that penultimate adult tooth, browsing the web worldwide, naive and youth, unfiltered in actions with unsuppressed attractions. Access wasn't a problem for retrospect. Access was a revolution and a newfound solution to discover a release never achieved in sport, school, music, friendship or anger. Retrospect found sanctuary in something insular, alone. Away from all the external pressures and the noise, retrospect is anyone. Retrospect is everyone. Retrospect is one of the girls and one of the boys. Do you understand now? Twelve years old. One more year before you go up to big school. Twelve years old. You still can't swim in the deep end by yourself. Twelve years old. The age that most young boys start to watch porn. Imagine the average age a smoker began to smoke was 12 years old. We would all think lung cancer was normal for 12 year olds. Do you understand now? Adult Entertainment Expo, Las Vegas, Nevada. Gail stands off stage left. She takes a deep breath. In a moment, she will address 2,000 industry professionals, from movie studios to pleasure product manufacturers. This is her most important presentation to date. Her palms sweat as she takes a final glance at her notes. This is it. She takes to the podium. She composes herself, takes a final breath and says, Technology is about to change the face of the porn industry. Since the turn of the 20th century, Three landmark advances in technology have changed our world. Firstly, the moving image. Secondly, the internet. And third, my specialism, virtual reality. We've all watched our industry progress from magazines to videos to DVDs to the internet. Virtual reality is the next step. It is the medium of the future. Today, your phone is an extension of your body. Tomorrow, 
virtual reality will be an extension of your mind. Gary opens the door. He strains a smile at his son and says, All right, George, dude. Gary doesn't actually know if George likes being called dude. I hate being called dude, George thinks, slipping inside and heading straight for the sofa. He takes the Game Boy out of his pocket and he glues his eyes to the screen. He sits there and he awaits the rant he receives every second weekend about taking his sambas off at the door. Gary notices that George is still wearing his shoes, but he chooses not to mention it. He's happy that it's his weekend. So, how are you? How's school? Who are you mucking about with these days? Have you got a girlfriend? Are you still playing football? If you want, we could go for a kickabout. Maybe next week. We should spend more time together. Do you think every second weekend is enough? Well, we go get a takeaway. Chinese. Sweet and similar. Your favourite? Uh, Hong Kong or Cantonese style. Do you want to come with me? I thought we could go together. It'll only take a bit. George doesn't lift his eyes from the screen. He doesn't want to go with his dad, so he stays in. Gary closes the door. The Coolidge Effect is a scientific theory. It states that it is not the act of sex, but variety of sexual experience that is crucial to human arousal. But why is it called the Coolidge Effect? Who is that? I'm really glad you asked, actually, mate. Helps me take the story forward. 1924. Two people are visiting a farm. One of them is the First Lady Grace Goodhue and the other is her husband, the 30th President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge. At one point, they split into two different groups. The President goes one way and the First Lady goes the other. On her tour, the first lady happened upon a chicken yard. She noticed a rooster mating at a very frequent rate. How often does that happen? The first lady asked. Dozens of times each day, she was told. 
And apparently, she said, tell that to the president when he comes by. When President Coolidge arrived at the chicken yard, he was also informed that the roosters mate dozens of times each day. And he was like, dozens of times each day? With the same hen every time? And he was told, Nah, Mr. President, we are different hen every time. To which he allegedly replied, Tell that to Mrs. Coolidge. Thirty years later, Frank A. Beach heard this story and decided to name his experiment The Coolidge Effect. Teach me things that's silly. You wouldn't think you'd have to teach somebody how to have sex. Then but having porn sex is completely oh, different bad. than that's having real sex. Think. And I don't believe in it. It's empowering to me. Real sex is probably more just like flowing because you don't have to like make sure like you can like see the pussy or whatever. What we're doing is put on a show for the viewer. It's everything that we do is for the people back home that are watching it. A lot of the times I feel myself having to constantly prove myself that I am an intelligent woman, that I am an honest, good person. You know, they automatically think, oh, you're a porn star, you're nothing, you know? They think that you're a slut. Exactly. But doesn't it hurt your feelings when people judge you and call you whore, slut? I am coming in with a mindset that this is a person that I'm working with. I'm just there, you know, physically. That's it. It's a physical attraction. Okay, remember the camera. Okay, remember the light. That looks good to, like, you guys or, you know, to somebody that's sitting watching me doesn't necessarily always feel the great for, you know, the best for me. Real sex is male. I mean, no one has sex in the positions that we shoot in. Technically, I don't have to position your body in a way. And she understands sex. I have sex so often in the industry. And she understands sex. I mean, it depends on the people I am. So, if you're doing
Well, I don't think that I should be looked at as a role model. Absolutely not. But of course, there are going to be the instances where it's going to get into children's hands. That happens, and it's a sad thing. But I think that in this day and age, parents need to be a little bit more hands-on. As soon as Gary closes the door, George goes straight to the cupboard for a packet of crisps. He's not actually allowed crisps before dinner. But his dad gets the really tasty ones in. His mum gets those special K ones now. What even is that? You get slagged at school if you bring those in. And they're minging. And they're not even a crisp. They are a cereal. George has questions that he wants answered. And not just about the special K crisps. He has a burning curiosity, like all 12-year-olds do. But when that is mixed with no parental guidance and the internet, curiosity can take you to places where you don't want to go. Trust me, George's phone has parental controls on it. That's why when he goes to his dad's, he always looks forward to using the laptop. He could search for the worst possible thing in the entire world. And no one would ever know. George opens up a new incognito browser. He wants to experience the porn hub. George remembers the first time he saw people having sex. It was on Paul's phone. In a porn. And to be honest, he found it a little bit gross. Paul also had videos of a woman having sex with a horse. Loads of stuff with those M-I-L-Fs in and this disgusting thing called Blue Waffle. He certainly never liked that. But maybe this time he will like it. Paul likes it. He likes it 20 times a night. Everybody does. www.pornhub.com Click. Then loads of videos pop up. It looks like some kind of weird YouTube. And then he looks closer. Screenshots of people having sex. Screenshots of women. Tits and Fanny. None of these girls are like Alice. Screenshots of men and their penises. Fucking hell. Their penises. About ten times the size of George's penis. And his mate's penis is that size. And all penises that size. Oh, shit. On here, there is so much to choose from. So many options. An endless amount. George draws the blinds. He sits in the darkness. 
he feels the cold blue light on his face. When I was younger, I never identified porn as being a problem. Because everybody I knew was watching it. Like, everybody. And I know it's not a problem for everybody, but for some people it is. It was never really talked about. Always hidden. And I think I only realised it was a problem when I started recoiling at what I was watching. A constant craving for variety can take you to places where you don't want to go. Trust me. This is EJ. Porn is healthy. This is Beth. Exploring your sexuality is how you find out what you like. Honestly, guys, you could probably learn a thing or two from porn. This is Jamie. I don't have a girlfriend. I'm not in a relationship. Porn gives me an outlet to enjoy myself. This is Anna. No other type of media shows as many different body types. There is no narrow definition of what a woman is allowed to do or look like. This is Alex. For couples where one partner has a far higher libido, the options are become extremely frustrated with the partner with lower sex drive, have an affair and split the relationship up, or use pornography. It certainly saved my marriage. This is Catherine. Porn is valuable for people who aren't into traditional, heteronormative, vanilla sexuality. This is Simon. For a young man, it is good to have access to this material. When I was 15, I felt alone in the world, like I was the only homosexual on the planet. And this is Cindy. The issue isn't porn. The issue is our society. Imagine trying to explain Facebook to somebody 20 years ago. They wouldn't be able to grasp how much it has changed our lives. They wouldn't have a clue. Facebook has connected 2.6 billion users across the world. And Zuckerberg has already invested billions in VR, attempting to make Facebook a digital location. What virtual reality allows us to do is to make the internet a place. The first question I usually get asked at these things about VR is, can you have sex with it? The answer is yes. We can design virtual porn to meet every need of a consumer. They could meet or create the perfect person for them. 
the perfect person. What do you think about that? The options for customization are unlimited. All without ever leaving your home. Interactions could take place without real world problems. No arguments, no moods, and distance would never be an issue. I used to travel on long business trips, far away from my husband. 15 years ago, this was a struggle. A phone call home wouldn't help because hearing his voice alone just didn't do the job. Then Skype came along. I was able to see his face, his eyes, his smile. The conversation was real. Imagine the possibilities that VR could offer. I could give my husband a virtual hug, a kiss, be able to feel his embrace. I could have sex with my husband from a thousand miles away. Retrospect again. Here, this time, with a rant. Retrospect shops in Primark. Do you shop in Primark? Oh, that's with Primark. It's nice. Don't worry, loads of us shop in Primark. It's decent clothes, it's cheap. But we don't think about how they're made and why they're not steeper. We ignore the sweatshops so we can wear our decent, cheaper clothes. Retrospect watched porn. You all watch porn, right? Nah, you don't have to tell me. That's not what this is about. A lot of people watch porn. It's arousing. It's free. But we don't think about how it's made or why it's free. We ignore the solicitation, ignore the trafficking, the abuse, the sexual exploitation. We ignore it all so we can sit in our cheap Primark hoodies and masturbate in blissful ignorance. Retrospect knows that not all porn is made like this. But how do we check how our porn is made? There's no wee sticker on the Pornhub front page that says Fair trade, ethical porn is for the enlightened! But what about young boys and their unenlightened dads who do not know any better? Retrospect knows the endless possibilities that pornography offers. And if we need more possibilities, the industry will supply it, commodify it, and tie it up in a little box, signed, sealed, and sent straight to our laptops. Constant supply and demand is taking Retrospect's perception of sex out of hand. Porn is all about finishing quickly. But real world sex, that builds slowly, subtly, intimately. Porn is taking all of the realities out of sex, but for many, porn is the reality. 
standards become idealistic and unrealistic. Rachel Spade's ex-partner was not a porn star, and that non-porn star partner quickly became uninteresting and dull. A partner who was attractive and lovable. Not that retrospect noticed. Porn contorted retrospect's body and mind. Intruded on thoughts and darkened them. Turned retrospect into a digital hunter gatherer. Gary is in the pishy smelling lift, staring back at his own reflection. Why? Every time. Why? He thinks to himself. Every second week he gets to see his son. Every second week he tells himself that they'll get along and they'll have a laugh. And every second week he fucks it up. The lift shakes as it comes to a halt. Then Gary starts to drive getting stopped at every set of lights and the thoughts of inadequacy are whirring around his head. He thinks that even if by some miracle, by some divine intervention, that he met a woman that he got on with that wanted him back, he still wouldn't be able to get a fucking fuck's sake, you fucking cunting dick! Gary shouts at the car in front. Typical, typical woman fucking drivers! Gary arrives at the takeaway. He takes a seat and he waits for his order. He rarely lifts his head. Because it is swirling. Swirling with the random bursts of things in his life that make him feel shit. They feel like objects prodding around in his skull. They swell as if they are talking to him. They make him feel as if he's going to be physically sick. But he is used to this though. And he chooses to ignore it. Because it is just something that happens. Gary raises his head. He sees... A new girl behind the counter. I've no seen her before. Long brown hair. Big natural breasts. Pale skin. Lipstick. He wonders if she is wearing lingerie. More people visit porn sites than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined. He starts to think about what he could do to her. Old entertainment has stagnated and is being overtaken. What he's seen other men do to teens like her online. Digital media has provided an immediacy to content. She's a teenager. We can provide an immediacy to the world's desires. The swirl in his mind starts to take control of him physically. He feels his own tongue on the inside of his lips, his teeth, his mouth. He imagines her, unbuttoned top, lying on the floor of his bedroom. He sees her naked, face down over his... Stop it. Fucking... Stop that. Now. 
Then Gary's eyes catch her eyes. Maybe she does want me. So Gary lets his thoughts run riot with her image. I'd do anything for a bird like that. I'd do anything for a pussy like that. I'd do anything if she gave me that. He's put his hand in his pocket and he is thinking. Please, happen. She feels right. Please, get there. She feels right. Please, no more fluffy fucking cock. And I feel right. For the first time in fucking months, I feel fucking right. Nobody even notices Gary as he stands wanking in a Chinese takeaway. Nobody. I'm not saying that our industry is without flaws. The production of porn is managed by men, driven by men, funded, dictated, directed by men, and targeted at men. I ask you, the businessmen and women, the male and female performers, producers and directors here today, I ask you, how does our porn value men and women? The answer is, of course, unequally. How do we change this? We create a new language. With virtual reality, we can wipe the slate clean. In the past, the magazines set the standards for our industry. Then, video rewrote these standards. After that, it was the innovators of the internet. And now, it is our turn. We can be the pioneers. We are ahead of the curve and we can ride the wave. Setting our own standards and values. Gary starts to drive home. The sickness and self-loathing feels worse than ever before. But his erection throbs. And for the first time in a long time, he admits how he feels is not right. Gary turns the radio on. Right, we need you to imagine that cage again. Now, you take a rat and you put it in the cage. Pink rat, we meet again, pal. Now, in the cage, there are two water bottles. One is just plain water and the other is laced with heroin. The rat becomes obsessed with the heroin water. It keeps coming back for more and more and more until it overdoses and kills itself. I'm sorry, Pink Rat. This is a simple 
but cruel experiment to prove addiction. However, in the 1970s, a psychologist, Bruce K. Alexander, noticed there was something not quite right about this experiment. The wee rat was all alone. So he came up with an idea. Rat park. Like heaven for rats. It had slides, tunnels to scamper down, friends to play with, other rats to have sex with. Everything a rat could ever need. And the rat park still had two different types of water bottle. But in Rat Park, the rats hardly ever used the drugged water. None of them used it compulsively or overdosed. It's not the chemicals, it's your cage. And this applies to humans too. Alexander concluded that addiction is more of a social problem than an individual problem. We need to think about addiction differently. To be happy and healthy, Humans need to bond and connect with others. When we can't, we become isolated and we start to bond with something that gives us a sense of relief. Whether that something is social media, video games, violence, drugs, or even pornography. But we will bond with something because that is our human nature. Retrospect is here. Finally, at the point of epiphany. And Retrospect knows that there is no easy solution. There is only means of venting frustration. The truth in the matter though, is that we can't just destroy it or delete it. We can't just ban it, throw it into a darkened closet because it is everywhere. The internet is in the air. But what we can do is talk about it, re-educate, reorientate, rehabilitate and appreciate the fact that some of us, including Retrospect, have consumed it since the very inception of our sexual awakening. Since being 12 years old and not being able to swim in the deep end. Porn has become the sex education of today and we need an open and honest conversation about it. A history of silence never did us any good. Silence perpetuates more silence. Silence creates suffering. Silence is the problem. And if silence is the problem, then what is the solution? George answers the buzzer and presses the button to let Gary in. He enters with the takeaway, which fills the room with a heavy smell of fried rice and calories. Gary asks, 
Joe. How are you? George says, Fine. You? Gary tells him, Aye. Fine, son. Thank you for listening. This is the end of the audio play, but hopefully the start of a wider conversation. If you'd like to talk with me or the team, drop us a wee email, follow us on social media, or donate to our work on www.wonderfuls.org donate. The Coolidge Effect by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse. Presented by Wonderfuls. Performed by Robbie Gordon and Jamie Marie Leary. Directed by Jack Nurse. Composed by Van Ives. Produced by Steph Connell. With thanks to Daisy Ann Fletcher, Rebecca Lumsden, Michael McKenzie, Bartosz Paul, Nima Sen, Megan Tyler and Josh Whitelaw. The Coolidge Effect is part of Wonderful's new digital season of work, Stories to Connect Us. Go to www.wonderfuls.org for more information about our season. It's also where you can donate to support our work and our new national participatory project Positive Stories for Negative Times. Please also subscribe to our mailing list. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. And goodbye.